car companies know that they need to nurture their brands if they want to grow their sales and market share. But when every brand in the business is trying to do the same thing, how do you break out of the clutter? That's the topic on AutoLine this week. And joining me on today's show are Christy Nordhelm, Associate Professor of Business at the University of Michigan, Michael Robinette, the Managing Director of IHS Automotive Consulting, and Peter DeLorenzo, the publisher at AutoExtremist.com. Underwriting for AutoLine this week is provided by... We are IAC Group, a global tier one supplier of vehicle interior solutions that span the rapid, ever-changing needs of today's industry. From interior design and engineering to manufacturing and delivery, IAC, our heritage, your advantage. From the Auto Line Studios, here is your host, John McElroy. Thanks for joining us for Auto Line this week where we're going to be talking about who's doing the best with their brands, who's doing the best at marketing. And of course, I've got Michael Robinett from IHS, Christy Nordhelm from the University of Michigan, and Peter DeLorenzo, the auto extremist. And Peter, you've got a great term that you, I, I want you to explain more. You're talking about brand dilution, as in like diluting it with water, and diluting it as in diluting yourself that you're doing something right. What do you mean by that? Well, I think the manufacturers are particularly adept at brand dilution and thinking that they've got it going on when they in fact don't. And then the other thing they do with uh, relentless regularity is consistently bring out products that, you know, deteriorate their brand, dilute the brand to the point where they just lose their way. And, you know, it's so difficult for these manufacturers to stay on point that it's amazing as many as, as there are some good ones out there that can stay on point and stay focused. Can you give us some examples? Um, How brave are you? <laughs> I think, uh, you know, it's easy to say for BMW, they've had some missteps, but clearly they have stayed on point. Uh, they were blessed with one of the great ad themes of all time, Ultimate Driving Machine, which has resonated for going on 30 years almost. I think they do it right. I think uh, Mercedes-Benz has kind of lost their way, and they don't do it right. They have too many models. They still think they're still living on their laurels from 50 years ago, and, and there's just a disconnect going on there. And th those are two examples. Yeah, good, good examples, as a matter of fact. Christy, do you, do you see the same thing? Dilution versus delusion? Uh, well, not versus, both happening at the same time and one causing the other. And um, for many of these brands, I think it's the lure of technology that's causing this. Um, they, the technology is very sexy. It's very appealing. Um, it's, it's lower cost in, in many, uh, many ways, and the costs are lowering of adding technology to the car. It doesn't weigh anything in many cases, which is great compared to, for example, leather. Um, but the problem with technology is, A, they've made the technology more important than the car, um, which is, again, going to uh, dilute the brand. Give us an example. What do you mean make the, the technology more important well, than the car? Well, turn on the TV and look at any, any, uh, any automotive advertising today, and you'll find technology as featured. The, the Swap My Ride for Ford, the Infinity interruption of the collision backing up thing. You know, every single car is featuring the technology, which in two years will be obsolete, probably. 
which has a huge impact on the uh, residual value of the car, which again is going to dilute the brand over time. Okay, I want to get into more detail, but I want to ask Michael about that. I mean, car companies have got to come out with new technology, don't they, to really entice people to come into the showroom? Some of it's regulated, um, you know, in terms of uh, what the uh, witness is looking for. Uh, but you're right, they, they have to, because I think as a differentiator, technology is definitely um, rising to the top. Quality just gets you in the game. Um, you know, getting back to what Peter was saying, I, I think also that clarity of the brand and clarity of your portfolio is also very important. You know, it, it, even in the automotive press, it gets difficult to understand when, when a new nameplate comes out, okay, how does that resound with the other nameplates? And a lot of times you, you're wondering, but like for instance, Audi or BMW, very clear nameplate strategy, which, you know, is, at least allows you, the customer, to better understand what they're getting. Peter, do you see the same problem of technology becoming obsolete and then hurting the brand? Well, uh, another way to put it is the democratization of technology. I mean, three years ago, four years ago, you'd have to have a very expensive car to have a sequential shifting transmission or any of a number of technologies that we're now seeing at the Ford Focus level. So going forward, what's going to differentiate these brands? Well, they have to have a crystal clear image and they have to have fabulous design because if the technology is all the same across all the makes, what's gonna get people in? It's still this visual, initial visual, drawing them in with the look and feel of their brands. And the car companies that nail it will be successful. The car companies that are wavering or all over the map or chasing the latest thing, they're gonna lose out. So when you say, Christy, that technology can be obsolete, I think you're mainly talking about some of this electronic stuff that's coming in where truly, I mean, every six to eight months, something new is coming out, as opposed to what Michael talked about, regulated technology that you have to do for emissions and fuel economy or sure. safety. Sure, sure. Okay, so there are the bells and whistles, which are, I, I think, a, a big problem. And of course, you can leverage technology if you leverage in service of the brand. And I think BMW is, again, a great example of that. They've taken advantage of technology throughout the vehicle, but it's uh, it's subservient to the BMW brand. It's, it's all in service of their positioning as opposed to chasing different innovations, which again do become commoditized over time and just a cost of entry to the category. And of course, when those things happen, then you're just raising the cost of doing business without getting any differentiation, any differential brand value. Okay, Peter mentioned design as a key way to differentiate. Are there other ways that you see it, or is that the way these days? Well, I, I like to think about things in terms of hardware and software, and the design is, to me, part of the hardware. It's a, it's, it can become classic and then increase the residual value. The leather in a car. I mean, you see reductions in leather, uh, you know, leather weight, leather quality every single year. You get in a car from 10 years ago and sit in the seats and you're like, oh my God, right? So certain uh, components of the car can actually increase the residual value over time, but they don't have that little sexy appeal that's distracting a lot of automakers today and to a certain extent consumers. So how do you balance that, Michael? How do you, how do you balance this need for technology and yet not trying to do it in a way that's going to hurt the brand? Um, I, I think just a couple of things. Getting back to the technology, the safety package is going to be more and more regulated, and I think we, we mentioned that, but th there's going to be a certain package that, for instance, you're going to have to be five-star. You're going to have to have this entire list of, of all these different features on every vehicle, some of it regulated, some of it not. The, the consumer is actually going to regulate more and more of it. Um, you know, we, tell, we tell people, do not buy a car unless it's at least four or five-star. And if it's not, don't even bother looking at it because from a residual perspective, in four or five years when everything is that, 
that level, you're going to have a huge problem trying to sell that vehicle. So I, I agree. There's there's technology for uh, is is going to be an important factor how it's integrated. And I think the other thing is that the vehicle manufacturers know that they need to align with the right suppliers because if they get the technology first, then they're a differentiator. If they're a follower, and much like we said earlier, it's going to be a real problem for them. Do you think five-star safety really resonates that much with used car buyers? I mean, I, I, I dare say most of them couldn't tell the difference between a four-star or a five-star rating. And legally, you only have to have one star. No, it's true. I think four or five-star probably definitely is a consideration. But if it's a one or a two-star, for instance, when, 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 and obviously I'm in, I'm in the industry, but when I purchased a vehicle for, for my son, I made sure that it had all the airbags and it had all the right safety. And it didn't, what they tell you now is it doesn't matter the size of the vehicle, is, is it four or five star? And that's what the automotive engineers will tell you more and more. Mm -hmm. Peter, you mentioned uh, Mercedes and BMW. Let's talk some of the more mass market brands. Seems to me that since the big collapse, when GM, Ford, and Chrysler entered bankruptcy, okay, Ford did not, but for all practical purposes, it restructured. They've, they've been on this great comeback tear, but I'm getting the sense now that it's plateauing. Do you see that as being the case, and what should they do with their brands if it is? Well, I don't know if it's a plateau. I think we're in a lull. I think that uh, there's a lack of, or kind of a window where there's not a lot of new products, uh, especially in Ford's case and Chrysler's case even more so. Um, but, you know, GM is a puzzler because, you know, they have some outstanding products and their sales have not kept up with this market, even the plateaued market. So I don't really, you know, I don't think it's a hard and fast plateau. I think we're in a lull. I think it's, it's product cadence dependent. And I think we'll see what's shaking out after that. Yeah, I think Peter hit the nail on the head. If you look at what happened after the 09 recession and then everybody delayed programs and they delayed the 10 and then they delayed to 11. So we had a lot of new product in late 10 throughout 2011. And this year, we're just kind of getting back to more of our normal cadence. And, and that's why we almost, it almost feels like it's slow, but it is getting back to a more normal cadence. Christy, do you see the same thing that Peter's saying with General Motors, that it's, you know, not doing as well as it should be? Well, I, I certainly, they're, they're not the top of mind that, that they probably should be, especially given their ad spend. I mean, they're, they're, they're leading the, um, the pack in terms of ad spending over the past six months or so at least, and usually in general. And yet, uh, when you think of top of mind awareness, they're not there. So I think that is an issue, absolutely. Okay, professor, how do you solve that? <laughs> Well, I mean, speaking of this lull, I mean, part of it was just pent-up demand. I mean, people didn't have any money in their pockets. They were hysterical and losing their houses, so you're not going to buy a car. Um, so, so part of that uptick was, was simply just uh, pent-up demand that's now kind of smoothing out. Um, but unfortunately, when those things kind of happen, uh, when those kind of things happen, the consumers get more accustomed to maybe not buying as quickly and as knee-jerk. And I uh, feel in my heart of hearts that um, if I'm looking at a car with a piece of technology and they're, they're trying to promote some new fangled uh, piece of technology, the first thing I think is, how long is that going to last? And do I just want to wait till the next evolution of whatever it is, which is what happens in other technology categories? And we could kind of borrow a page from, for example, the smartphone industry. Um, one of the biggest problems uh, uh, high-tech industries face is that consumers choose to wait until the next generation. If people start looking at cars vis-a-vis uh, -vis the technology, like they do computers and smartphones, we might find a lot more waiting. Peter, you were an advertising executive. You did do advertising yes, at General Motors for Pontiac. Uh, what would be your solution? Pontiac and Chevrolet. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, well, you know, right now, Joe Alonick, the head of GM marketing, is, is tasked by Dan Ackerson to save money. That's one directive from Ackerson. The other thing on Joel's plate is how do we make Chevrolet and Cadillac global brands? Just this last week, Joel announced that GM's not going to be on the Super Bowl with Chevrolet. Uh, they announced they're not going to spend um, manufacturer, advertiser-supported uh, ads on Facebook. And then they signed a deal with Manchester United. Big soccer club the, in the, England. The biggest soccer club, the most popular soccer club. So, you know, Joel is trying to establish Chevrolet as a global presence, but in this market, Chevrolet, you know, should be doing better. I mean, they have some bright, bright spots with the Sonic and the Cruise, but they're not doing that well. And uh, so, uh, you know, I don't know. You know, and they're also very intermittent in their creative execution. Some are really good, and a lot of them are flat, not memorable. You know, in the ad biz, uh, it's very difficult, but you have to hit a grand slam almost every time now. You cannot have an a, eh, ad. You just can't, because you'll just be forgotten. And Disappear in the clutter. Yeah. Do you see that the same, Christy? Do you have to have a grand slam? Can you do a grand slam? Well, uh, when you talk about cost cutting, I mean, the best way to save money is to produce a great execution every single time and, and avoid launching bad executions. It's one thing to reduce your spending overall, but, um, but every execution that you do is leveraging millions of dollars in, in media. So, um, so absolutely, you have to have the right execution. Now, the question is, how do you get that right execution? In the good old days, we'd kind of throw it up against the wall and see if it's stuck. And, and we had plenty of money to do that and have some failures, and it was fine. But the demand for efficiency in communications has gone up radically in the last especially 10 years. Um, so uh, if you do have a failure, it's public. People are talking about it. Um, and and the, the negative impact is, is such that it would have been better for you not to spend the money. In fact, you might have been better off if you took the money and just lit it on fire, you know? <laughs> so we've got to have the executions. Michael, I was fascinated what you said earlier that quality is no longer a differentiator. It's just the price of entry. And yet there's so much media attention on the J.D. Power uh, quality surveys, what Consumer Reports happens to say. But what are you saying, that that's not important now? I, I, I'm, I'm saying that uh, I think consumers are at a point where th they realize that no matter where the vehicle is made uh, and what brand it is, it's going to have to meet a certain quality level or else it would have left the market, especially in the, in the 2009 automotive recession, that, you know, there's a reason why Suzuki's are, are almost, have almost left the market and Mitsubishi's not doing well and, and other brands have gone by the wayside. It was quality, it was execution, and do they stand for something that's different than everybody else. And I think there's a couple of brands that are really in danger of that if, if they don't start differentiating themselves. I'm thinking Like of, which brands? Uh, Mazda. What differentiates them from what you can get from any, almost anywhere else? Is there a body style? Is there a uh, powertrain technology? Is there, some, is there something that drives you to, to purchase that? They have interesting vehicles. Uh, they're, all, they're all quite decent. But, you know, are, do they differentiate you to say, I'm going to spend extra money to buy that vehicle? And, and that, to me, is one of the aspects that, that brands are always looking for. What differentiates the brand from others that drives people to, to spend that extra money or to not have to take incentives? Okay, so Mazda's putting all this emphasis on what they call Sky Active. Is, is that going to do it? I don't think so. I think, you know, one example is, uh, there's common technology now in the business, direct injected turbocharged engines. Ford stumbled upon a, a little 
uh, cool little uh, moniker for theirs called Ford EcoBoost. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of taken off and it's now, it's an, almost an accepted good thing. Here's Mazda starting out with sky active technology and it's just, it's nonsensical. I mean, flat out nonsensical. What are you talking about? And, you know, to your point, Mazda built some great stuff, but they're in danger. They're right on the edge of, like, becoming irrelevant. Christy, I saw you shaking your yeah, head over well, Skyac. We, we, uh, you, you auto guys are always talking about product all the time, but really what, all that matters is the consumer, right? Um, you are your car. And, um, and maybe one, uh, one brand or one, uh, one manufacturer can take control of the technology segment, and I think I agree with the EcoBoost. It's a funny campaign. It's very appealing. Um, but they've got that. Now we've got to pick the other areas that we can take over. We can take over luxury. We can take over performance. I think for a little while, Mazda, with the Zoom Zoom campaign, had fun. But then they got nailed by Mini Cooper and the VW Bug, and now the Fiat's coming in with the 500. Um, so uh, they, they let go of that credence positioning, moved over to a technology positioning, and uh, lost the high ground and didn't manage to gain the low ground. I'll tell you one interesting thing that's happening right now, and this is a, it's not a hardware-based thing. In the luxury segment, it's become the price of admission to coddle your consumers, your customers. I mean, I fully expect a luxury maker to announce that they will be delivering your paper to you as part of it. But here is, yeah, and here is Lincoln trying to reinvent themselves right now. And, you know, I know they're embracing a lot of this, uh, customer coddling, and it's, the pr it's become the price of admission. So once again, what does it go back to? Brand image and product. So these luxury uh, ma manufacturers competing in the luxury segment, they can do all the brand coddling they want. If the, if the brand image isn't there and the product isn't there, it's not going to matter. That's a great point. Michael, what do you think of uh, Lincoln's chances? Uh, it's going to take a long time. And, and obviously, if they don't have a, a, a C-segment product, a compact vehicle, then they, they can't really think global. Uh, so right now, they're obviously going to try and master this market. It's extremely competitive market. And to what Peter was mentioning earlier, this, this sort of democratization of technology moving down, it, it, is, it is much easier for a mass market brand to have a lot of luxury technology and basically be a pseudo-luxury vehicle um, you know, in, in, a, in a different clothing at a much lower price point. So what is luxury in the future? And I think that uh, content is going to do it, but you know, the service, uh, service as well. Try and teach all those Lincoln dealers how to, how to treat customers like Lexus has or like Infiniti has or Mercedes. Uh, I'm not saying it can't be done, but it's going to take a while. It's not the type of thing that you snap your fingers and it happens overnight. So, again, there's, it's going to be a long-term uh, uh, solution that's going to have to happen, and product is going to have to help drive it into a global solution at some point in time. Very interesting, because, Christy, this comes back to what you said at the, uh, the beginning, this democratization of technology. You're saying, no, don't hang it on technology. It's got to be other things. Right. It's necessary but not sufficient unless you can leverage it like BMW does in, in service of the brand. Um, uh, but to your point, the, this issue of uh, moving to a service model or a service differentiator, that is a tough putt. You, you, you can say we're going to do it. You can delude yourself into saying you're going to do it. But to get a whole bunch of dealers all lined up to deliver service day in and day out that's at the level of expectations that you're creating with your ad campaign on a national level, very, very difficult to do and not something that's going to happen overnight. And another thing that we see all the luxury brands doing is trying to present themselves as the greenest luxury car that's out there. And yet the, the green sales pretty much aren't going anywhere, at least not on the luxury side. 
Right. Well, green, uh, everybody's defining green in a different way, and everybody's grabbing, trying to grab a piece of the green pie, right? So again, it's confusion. Uh, you show me a, a, any industry where there's consumer confusion over uh, what's the differentiator, and I'll show you an industry that's going to either price or going to flatten out, as we're seeing right here. So uh, green, following the next big thing, whatever it is, uh, is not and never has been the way to differentiate in automotive. You find out your skills, you develop your skills, and then you identify a benefit that's tied to those skills, and you promote that benefit as hard and consistently as you can. That's BMW. Peter, you see the same thing. Is, is green uh, a dead-end alley? I don't think it's a dead-end, but I think uh, uh, politicians in Northern California and Washington have totally inflated expectations for what's going to happen in, in the green area. And I think any luxury brand, look at Porsche, who's another example of what I consider an absolute sterling brand. They will do green, but they will do it the Porsche way. It will not deviate from the Porsche brand premise, the Porsche brand image, and they understand that and they will execute to that. Uh, as far as the, the green market in luxury, I, you know, I think it's minuscule. Yeah, Porsche will still do a 200-mile-an-hour hybrid, for yeah. example. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Michael, uh, what do they do, though? All these companies are coming out with all this green technology. Do you, do you just bury it, or do you try, you know, blow your trumpet that you've got it all, too? I, I think uh, for some mass-market brands, it's going to turn into a fuel economy statement. I mean, everybody's going to understand that the emissions are emissions, and, and everybody has to meet a certain regulatory level. So then it becomes more of a fuel economy. Uh, and how do you deliver the fuel economy? How much extra cost is involved? I like in some respects, what GM has done in terms of some, maybe except for Volt, but they've taken fuel economy solutions and put it across their line. Like eAssist will at, at some point move across several of their vehicles. It's going to cost them some money, but they will get a, a benefit for that fuel economy. And, and everything in, in the vehicle development area is, do we spend $100 on this and get X, or do we spend $200 on this and get Y? And, and that type of cost benefit is going to happen over and over again. And, and who does that best is actually going to determine who's going to be most profitable in a lot of these areas. I was interested in what you said earlier about product cadence, that we, we saw a rush and now it's sort of tailed off, and I guess we'll see another big uh, rush at another point in another year or two. But how do companies balance this out so that instead of coming in waves, it, it's just a, a constant flow of new product? It's a constant battle because, again, one of the problems is that they say, let's say you're going to launch a vehicle in July of 2013, and then your, your closest competitor is launching their vehicle at the same time. You don't want to be on top of them, so you want to try and advance by three months. That means you need to pay a bunch of engineers overtime to get something done or get the tooling done in, in advance of that so you can launch before everybody. So it's going to be a fine art, but I would say that every five or six years for most mass market vehicles, that is the cadence. And it'll be global because if you go off canter of that, let's say I'm going to keep my vehicle for eight years, you're going to miss the economies of scale of what the rest of your company has done. So this sort of globalization of the industry has been very, very interesting in, in respect of what it's done to product cadence. Do you think that uh, the big collapse, as I call it, the, the restructurings mm -hmm. in uh, 2009 through that product cadence off? Did the, the earthquake and tsunami in Japan throw theirs oh, off? Oh, I think there's no doubt that, that uh, American cadence got thrown off by at least a year, maybe 18 months, and Japanese cadence probably better part of nine months. Because if you think about it, a lot of the Honda engineers that might have been working on Accord, they were out trying to find suppliers, literally trying to find them. 
uh, where were they and can they supply and if they can't let's find substitutes so there was there was a lot of delay but also capital too so this company was their their attention was diverted to dealing with the tsunami not developing cars um, it's not quite binary, but I would say that there's been some delay. It's going to take a little while to get to get back, but it is coming back pretty quickly. So sometime this decade, we, we should see Oh, I that. think there's no doubt. In fact, it'll probably come back within a, within a year or so, but then we'll wait for the next natural disaster. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have to. Uh, yeah, I have to uh, disagree about it necessarily coming back. I think that maybe change is the only constant right now, and, and maybe the companies that are the most flexible and the most adaptive to whatever the next shock is going to be um, are, are going to be uh, the ones best suited to handle the next 10 to 15 years. Um, and and I, I think we saw this with the, the big three even 10, 20 years ago. They kept saying, well, it'll come back, it'll come back, you know, let's wait. And, and uh, by the time some, it comes back, something else comes and hits you in the face. So I think the, the firms that are the most flexible, the most adaptive, and uh, uh, the less, least kind of reactive and rather keeping their eye on the ball and being proactive uh, in response to these events, whatever they might be, will probably see the best gains over, sustainable gains over the next 10 years. Peter, we're down to the very end here, but, you know, Buy American was, at least in the past, something that motivated people to get into the showrooms. Is that dead? Well, I think it's, it's basically dead, and I think it's irrelevant because I think, I'll give you a perfect example, look at the upper trajectory of Hyundai and, and Kia. Uh, these are manufacturers who were laughed at five years ago, and now they're on consumer buying shopping lists because they build terrific products. And uh, so I don't know as Buy American works. And frankly, we have a fiat-owned company trying to guilt us into buying their products, a.k.a. Chrysler. And so I don't think it matters anymore. And it doesn't matter where cars are built either? I mean, because you mentioned Hyundai and Kia. They build cars in the U.S. now. Yeah, I don't think it matters anymore. Real good. Well, we're going to have to wrap it up, but I want to thank Michael Robinette. And let me get this right. Managing Director of IHS Automotive Consulting. Christy Nordhelm, Associate Professor of Business at the University of Michigan. Peter DeLorenzo, former advertising executive, though he still has a lot to say about it. And you can check all his stuff out at autoextremist.com. But I really want to thank you all for coming in. Very interesting discussion on brands and marketing and where it's all going. And I want to thank you, too, for having tuned in and Please join us again here next week for AutoLine This Week. Underwriting for AutoLine This Week has been provided by... We are IAC Group, a global tier one supplier of vehicle interior solutions that span the rapid, ever-changing needs of today's industry. From interior design and engineering to manufacturing and delivery. IAC, our heritage, your advantage.